following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 1030, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. Some of the earliest moments uh, of my childhood that I can remember back to. In fact, if I can kind of rewind the tapes in my mind and think back to some of the earliest memories of my entire life, I was about three or four years old and I was in pre-K. And what's interesting is the, the thing that my long-term memory has latched onto about those years was what happened in the pre-K, uh, the preschool playground. Now, if you've ever been around a preschool playground at recess time, it's like this massive social experiment, okay? You've got these little children running around everywhere. You've got teachers making sure a kid doesn't like fall off the swing and, you know, get a lawsuit for the school. So you have all of this happening out there. And uh, we had this thing at my particular preschool that was very bizarre, but it was our way of telling people whether or not we were friends with them. And so when I would be out in the preschool uh, the preschool playground, we'd be out playing and having fun. And the way that someone would signify that you guys were close, you guys were tight, is they would do this. They would give you a thumbs up. You just walk up to you and give you a thumbs up, okay? That meant you were friends. You were accepted. You belong, okay? If you were someone who, let's say, you just got on their bad side. Uh, maybe you cut them in line and they got the raviolis before you got the raviolis, okay? So there's some beef between you and this person. That person would then promptly walk up to you at recess and be like, right? And they'd give you the thumbs down. And that meant you weren't accepted. And so what you wanted on playground was the thumbs up, right? That meant you're cool. You, maybe you, you had your cot next to theirs at bed nap time, right? So you just had that kind of close friendship but in preschool, that represents, did anybody do anything similar to that? Okay, a couple of people. I'm not a total loser. Great. So, so we used to do that. And what's funny is I grew older and the same kind of thing happened, just it looked different. So when I went to middle school, I remember there was this group of friends in particular that I wanted to belong to. I wanted them to accept me. I wanted to be considered friends. And if we were still in preschool, I wanted them to go like this to me. Uh, and so I was in middle school, and they all wore these particular kind of shoes. Uh, they were these skate shoes that are very fat. They're like large-looking shoes. And I remember going home and telling my dad, hey, dad, I, I want to get some shoes. And I was like, we don't, but we can't go to the normal shoe store that we've been going to. I want to go to this other shoe store where I can get these different kinds of shoes. And we get there, and my dad's like, those are hideous, son. You know, those are, those are ugly. And, and I'm like, yeah, I know, dad, but I need to get these shoes. So I get these big, fat-looking skate shoes, these giant things, and I show up to school, and I'm so excited, and, and I felt welcomed into this group. Now, this is all so silly, isn't it, right, that we play this game? I hated the shoes. Okay, but I, I was accepted and I belong. And this dynamic continues, believe it or not, through adulthood, right? We play these similar games as adults. In fact, uh, if you drive a car and you have a bumper sticker on the back that says DVC, right? That means you're a member of the elite group, the community of Disney Vacation Club members, right? And you're proud, okay? Uh, others of you, you have like random numbers with decimals in them. Anybody seen those uh, bumper stickers? Right, like 70.3, uh, 26.2, uh, 13.1, all of these numbers. And, and some people, unless like you're in the know, you, you, like you can't know what, like what are these random numbers? And they signify like the distance of a triathlon or a marathon or a half marathon. And if you're cool like them, you would obviously know what it means. That's basically what it's saying. Uh, I actually have a buddy of mine who has a 
sticker on his back that says, uh, not on his back, on the back of his car, <laughs> on the back of his car that says 26.2. And then in very tiny print, it says, Oreos I can eat in a minute. <laughs> and, and it's just awesome. Okay, so here's, here's what we do. Uh, any community of people, any group of people, typically have a set of defining characteristics that describe that community. Uh, typically, when there's a group of people and they're a community of sorts, there's something that they rally behind or have in common. In fact, even the word community, it has the word unity in it. There's this idea of uh, a group of people rallying around a common ideal, that there's something they're unified and rallied around. And so there's all sorts of different kinds of community that we, we come across all the time. And in the book of Acts, we come across, we're going to read in a section where in the book of Acts, this history of how the early church started, of how this movement of Jesus followers began and increased and expanded, one of the questions that they are wrestling with is what are the defining characteristics of this movement? That when it comes to the church, not, not a building a church, in fact, there weren't church buildings at the time, it was just people. So one of the questions they're wrestling with is, okay, what defines this community of Jesus followers? Well, what does it mean to belong? And in fact, in Acts, we see that they're really wrestling with this question. Some are arguing that, well, these characteristics are what define the community, you gotta be like this. And others are saying, no, 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 it's not that, it's just this. And in Acts chapter eight, we come across an individual who is going to come face to face with this question. We encounter someone who's very different from anyone else that we've read up about this to this point in the book of Acts. We read about someone that's very different and he's going to wrestle with this question. It's a question that I think many of us have asked ourselves in a setting like this. The question is, can I belong here? He's going to ask the question, is this a place where I can belong? Is this a place where I can be Accepted, And we read his story, picking up in verse 26, Acts chapter 8. Here's what Luke, the historian and author, records in Luke chapter 8, verse 26. He says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So here we're introduced to two different characters, Philip and this Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was uh, an evangelist. He told people about Jesus. And Philip was told by God to go from Jerusalem down to Gaza, this very common uh, road that would extend and connect these two regions in, this, uh, in the ancient Near East. And so this region here connected through this road, God tells Philip, hey, go, Philip, go down this road to the south towards Gaza. And then if you have uh, your Bible in front of you, go ahead and underline where it says, and it was a desert place. Important detail. He's reminding his readers who are unfamiliar with the geography, this is a desert place. And so we're introduced to Philip, and then we're introduced to this Ethiopian eunuch. And Luke records some, deta some details about this individual. He apparently is a court official of the queen of Ethiopia. Uh, scholars believe that this is the ancient Nubian kingdom. It's near, but not exactly where Ethiopia is today. And this court official would have had a position of influence. It says that he was in charge of all of the queen's treasure, 
He had a very significant role. Imagine if you're the queen of a nation and you're putting one person in charge of your treasure. If he's your treasurer, he's got a significant position. And it describes how he was on his way to Jerusalem to go and worship God. And we get the sense from this passage that this particular Ethiopian eunuch was a convert to Judaism. He is someone who is native of Ethiopia, but someone told him about the God of the Bible. And so he began to become a worshiper of this God. And he makes this pilgrimage all the way to Jerusalem to worship God. Now, to give you a little bit of a glimpse of what that experience would have been like for an Ethiopian eunuch who converted to Judaism to go to Jerusalem, uh, let's just put this in perspective. Here we have someone who is not an ethnic Jew. In other words, he's not a descendant of Abraham. He's not a Jew by birth. He's not, and so because of that, he's a Gentile. That means that there's certain areas in Jerusalem that would be guarded off, that he'd be restricted from being able to enter. So he went there to worship God, and there'd be some places where there's a line drawn, or there's a fence or a border that says, hey, you can't come past this because you're not of an ethnic, you're not the right ethnicity. And then on top of that, not only is he of a different ethnicity, but he's also from a very different culture. He comes from Ethiopia. He's probably dressed very differently than other people in Jerusalem. He probably looks very different. He uh, comes from an entirely different background. And on top of that, he's a eunuch. He's socially different. In a family and in a society, in a culture that valued family, here's an Ethiopian eunuch who literally can't have a family. And so we have an ethnic, cultural, and social outsider show up to Jerusalem. And as he made this massive pilgrimage, think about all of the work that went into planning this, to go by foot or camel or however he got there that pushed him over there, to go all the way to Jerusalem and to come face to face with the fact that because of who he is, where he was born, and things that are out of his control, there's areas where he simply is not welcome you can begin to see very quickly in this passage how this question of do I belong starting to surface. You can almost feel it coming. And this particular individual from Ethiopia, you know what's so interesting is we don't even know his name. Luke in this passage records so many interesting details. He tells us they're in the desert. He gives us this guy's background, but we don't know his name. It's almost as if Luke is drawing attention to the fact that this man is very different. Philip the Christian, the one who's telling people about Jesus, comes from an entirely different world. They are, they're so polar opposite, and all it takes is going into a cafeteria in high school to tell that, man, people, when it comes to our differences, we like to sit with people who dress like us, look like us, listen to the same music. And here we have Philip being commanded to go to someone very, very different. God is arranging this moment and he's calling out to this Ethiopian eunuch, and you can see the question of, do I belong, starting to rise up. And here's how it continues in verse 29. It says, the Spirit, God, said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. Now, this, this is a moment where, if we could just put it in modern terms, imagine this with me, okay? This is a, a, an Ethiopian eunuch who's in charge of the treasure of the queen, so this is probably a huge entourage of people. There's security guards. I mean, there's people in front of him, people behind him. You don't make this kind of journey by yourself. They had to come prepared. They had to have food, water. So this was quite a scene. 
And God tells Philip, hey, Philip, go into the chariot. This is like, uh, imagine you're in Fort Lauderdale in Las Olas. And you're hanging out with your friends and you're in Las Olas. And you see this caravan of people that's surrounding this Rolls Royce. And it's brand new, this Rolls Royce. And it's the kind of Rolls Royce that if you own it, you don't drive it. All right? Like you sit in the back. Somebody else is driving you. Okay? That's the nature of the situation. And you're there and you're seeing this and maybe you have your phone out taking a video because this is crazy. You're not used to seeing this. Uh, or maybe people are like putting this on Snapchat. Hey, check this out, right? So they're telling everybody about what's happening. And you just feel like God's speaking to your heart saying, hey, hop in the rolls. <laughs> and then in that moment, you're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. Get in, get in the chariot. Go, hop in the rolls. And right now in this moment, God tells Philip, hey, Philip, hop on in, buddy. And so Philip responds this way. Look what it says next in verse 30. It says, so Philip ran to him and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. So he comes up to this Ethiopian eunuch in his chariot, and he overhears that he's reading from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is a chapter in the Old Testament. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, the Old Testament is the first half of the Bible. It's really more like the first three quarters of the Bible. And the Old Testament describes everything that occurred before the birth of Jesus. And so the Old Testament spans uh, uh, quite a bit of time. And about 400 years before the time of Jesus, the Old Testament wraps up. The New Testament kicks off describing the life, life of Jesus and the expansion of the early church. And if I could say, and many scholars would argue, that there's one place in the entire Old Testament where it most clearly describes who Jesus is, what Jesus would do, and what he was about. It's Isaiah chapter 53. I mean, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of chapters, thousands perhaps even in the Old Testament. And if there was one place in the entire Old Testament of the Bible where it's most clear, it's most pointed about the Savior who's coming, it's Isaiah chapter 53. And this Ethiopian eunuch just so happens to be reading this passage. And we read a little bit about it. Luke records it. About how like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shear. Like someone who's being treated unjustly. And yet he's going to stand silent and not respond to his accusers. Isaiah is predicting and promising about this coming one. This Messiah, a savior who's going to come and suffer for us. And this eunuch just so happens to be reading that. And he's kind of frustrated. He can't understand it. And I've had these moments before where I'm like, man, I just wish somebody could explain this to me. This is kind of confusing and hard to understand. And it just so happened that here comes Philip, crazy man running up into his chariot, right? And he invites him in. And look at what it says next. Verse 34. Verse 34, how the story continues. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? about himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
So the Ethiopian eunuch invites Philip to come on board, and he has this question. He says, hey, tell me, is Isaiah, the, the author, is he talking about himself when he says that there's this one who's going to be like a, a lamb led to the slaughter, who's going to be this sacrifice, when he's talking about this one who's going to take on the sins of the world and bear their sins, where he's going to suffer for humanity, is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And what Luke records is that in this moment, Philip starts with this scripture and ex begins to explain to him the good news about Jesus. You know, sometimes... Uh, when we read the newspaper, if anybody still does that, or you read online, or you watch the news, and the way sometimes Christianity is, is painted, you'd almost think that it was bad news. The way sometimes people talk about it, it almost seems like, from the way they're saying it, it's bad news, but what's used here to describe the gospel, in fact, the word gospel, the heart of Christianity, means good news. And here, Philip in this moment, starting with Isaiah 53, tells him the good news about Jesus. And maybe you would have opened up to Isaiah 53, verse 5, where it says that this suffering servant would be pierced for our sins. He would be pierced for our sins and he would be crushed for our wrongs and by his wounds, we'd be healed. The good news about Jesus is that though we're all flawed and broken and sinful, God takes all of our guilt, our shame, he takes all of that and he places that on his son and Jesus suffers the judgment for us. God loves us past our faults and he knows our failures. He knows us at our worst and he still takes on himself the sins of the world and he dies for us. He gives up his life. This suffering servant, think about this. This is so remarkable. Isaiah is writing these words centuries before Jesus is born. Centuries before Jesus is even born, he predicts there's coming a Messiah who'd be pierced. There's coming a Messiah who's going to take on the sins of the world and die and suffer. There's coming a Messiah whom ultimately death will not conquer him, but he will conquer it. And here is Philip explaining this good news to this Ethiopian eunuch about this Savior who came to rescue us. And the eunuch in this moment is going to respond in a way that I want us to really focus in on. Look at verse 36. Here's how the eunuch responds to hearing the good news. Verse 36 says, And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So, there just so happened to be water in the desert. So track with me all of the events that have occurred leading to this moment. Here we have an Ethiopian eunuch, an ethnic, social, and cultural outsider, someone very, very different who went to Jerusalem to worship God. He was very obviously a seeker of God. He was curious. He wanted some answers. And so he goes to Jerusalem to worship, and what he would have faced is people saying, all right, you can stay right there, but beyond this, you can't come further because you're not the right ethnicity, or you're not in the right social standing, or you're not the right this. And so he came face to face with those barriers and then he's on his way back and he's reading, he just so happens to be reading Isaiah 53 that talks about this coming Messiah, a savior. And he's reading it and he's frustrated, he can't understand. And it just so happens that there's this crazy man running at him and he invites him in his chariot and he's able to understand 
the message of Isaiah 53, the message of the Bible, that God has looked down on us and in spite of our flaws and failures that we don't measure up, God has chosen to show his love for us in Jesus Christ by taking on our sin and shame, punishing his own son for it, and then giving us freedom and eternal life. It's this incredible exchange where Jesus takes our shame and guilt and we received his perfect righteousness where our relationship with God is restored because Jesus was cut off and forsaken in that moment on the cross. And just as the eunuch is starting to understand, just as he's saying, yeah, I I believe that. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Savior. I put my trust in him. As he's doing that, they just so happen to come to some water. Now, if you're tracking along with this story, right, these just so happen moments These are moments that happened in my life and in your life as well. These just so happened to be moments. See, this man was a seeker of God, sure. But more than he was seeking God, God was seeking him. And he was arranging the circumstances of this man's life, bringing people into his life at the right moment, at the right time to introduce him to the Savior. And it's our firm belief that if you're here today, regardless of the circumstances that brought you, perhaps you're here to support someone who's being baptized, or maybe you're here because your student went to camp this week, and so you're here to support them. We honestly believe that God arranges circumstances and introduces people into each other's lives so that they can share the hope they have in them because of what Jesus has done for them. And so that you might be here and you had certain expectations, but God has a message for you. And here this eunuch heard this good news and he asked the question, what prevents me from being baptized? And before we can understand the weight and significance in that question, we first need to define what baptism is. Uh, I want you to, if you have notes or if you're writing things down, write this down. Here's what baptism is. Baptism is a public display of our personal commitment to Jesus. Baptism is a public display of our personal commitment to Jesus. That when we're baptized, it's our way of sharing with the, uh, with the world that we have trusted in Jesus as our Savior. That he is the one who is our Lord, he's our master, he's our God. We serve him. And it's a command from Jesus to be baptized. It's not a suggestion or a recommendation. For his followers, he commands them, be baptized. And so if that's what baptism is, it also paints a picture. It's a symbol. And in fact, in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, the apostle Paul describes the symbolism in baptism. Check this out. This is what Paul says. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is painting a picture. Here's what baptism is. That when we take a person and they are taken down under the water, they're painting a picture of how we died with Christ. That his death, his sacrifice, takes the old us and buries it. And then we lift you up out of the water and we pull you up just as Christ was raised. And that pictures and symbolizes the new us emerging. It's this beautiful symbol displaying what Jesus has done for us. And Paul highlights this. Baptism is your way to display publicly what you've decided personally, your commitment to Jesus as your Savior. And this symbol, uh, one of the ways that we often talk around here as a way of illustrating it, think about 
uh, a wedding ring. So I have my wedding ring here that if you're back in the back, you probably can't see it, but that's okay, it's here. So I have a wedding ring here, and I received this on my wedding day, and the pastor explained that the reason it's a ring is that it's in the shape of a circle, and it symbolizes how love, my love for my wife should not end, should be endless. And it's also made up of a valuable metal, right? There's a reason that it's valuable, because it's representing how love is something valuable. It's something to be cherished. It's something to be cared for. And so this symbol is something I received on my wedding day. Now, if I was to take this ring and give it to my son Hudson, who's almost one, if I gave it to him and he put it on his ring finger, uh, that does not make him married very clearly. Uh, God help us if he, right? So anyways, so he's, he's clearly, that doesn't make him married. This, the ring is a symbol of a commitment that's already been made. And baptism, its purpose is to picture and to represent a commitment that we've already made to Jesus, that we are his, that we follow him with our lives. We've trusted in him as savior. And if we've trusted in him as savior, he calls us to display that through baptism. Not only is baptism a symbol that helps us identify with our savior Jesus in his death and resurrection, it's also our way to identify with all of God's people throughout all time in history. Uh, really, up until this moment in Acts, we read about this pattern that happens. Someone hears the gospel, the good news of Jesus. They believe, and then they're baptized. And this pattern comes over and over again in Acts. They believe, and then they're baptized in response. And think about it. This Ethiopian eunuch spent some time in Jerusalem. There's, at this point, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Christians throughout the Roman Empire and this Ethiopian eunuch receives the message of Jesus, and his first question is, what prevents me from being baptized? So clearly, he has some understanding of what baptism is, and baptism is a way for us to identify with other believers who have experienced the same thing, that when a person is baptized, they're experiencing something that Christians have done for thousands of years. It's this beautiful picture. And so now, with that understanding of what baptism is, you can begin to see how this is such a loaded question. As an ethnic, social, and cultural outsider who just experienced being excluded from certain areas of worship, asks the question, what prevents me from being baptized? There's something beneath this question. Can I belong here? Is this something that, that I can participate in? Or is there something about me that would exclude me from this? What prevents me from being baptized? Don't miss this powerful truth. Don't miss it. Philip goes down with the eunuch and he baptizes him. He goes down with him, he baptizes him, and it describes later on, it says that the eunuch went away that day rejoicing. The powerful truth displayed here and what we see come to the surface in the book of Acts is this question of who belongs? What defines our community as a church? What defines the community of Jesus followers? What begins to surface and what's displayed here is that Jesus is a savior for all people. That Jesus is a savior not for one ethnicity or one culture. He's not a savior for an economics bracket. No, no, he's a savior for all people. And that if anyone would humble themselves and come to Jesus and say, I need you as my savior, anyone and everyone, regardless of their past, they're forgiven, saved, and welcomed into God's family. 
And so this question, what prevents me from being baptized? It brings me back to one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. First Timothy chapter one, the apostle Paul says, uh, this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world, not to save good people, not to save religious people, not to save a particular ethnicity, not to save uh, Americans or not to save Mexicans or not to save Cubans or not to save this. He says, I came to save sinners. And the good news is that sinners are all there are in every ethnicity, every tribe, every tongue, every culture. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We all need a savior. And Jesus is a savior for all people of every nation, of every tribe, every tongue, welcomed into the family of God. And so this loaded question, what prevents me from being baptized? Do I belong? The, the evangelist Philip responds in action and says, there's nothing preventing you from being baptized. Christians, those who follow Jesus, one of the things that we can just simply apply from this passage is believing that God is at work around us all the time. God is at work in the people at your work. God is at work in the people at your school. He's at work in your neighborhood. He's at work at the grocery store you shop at. He's at work in your gym where you work out. He's at work everywhere all the time. And just like he used Philip to go and speak to this particular Ethiopian eunuch who was very different from him, there are people that God intends to use us to speak to. He intends to use us to share the hope we have to share our story of how Jesus has changed our life or to invite them into community and say, hey, can you come to church with me? God intends to use us. You know, this week we told our students, we gave them this call to be the aftershock. We talked about this week, what does it look like to be the aftershock of what Jesus did for us? To shake things up in our schools and in our neighborhoods to shake things up on our sports teams because of what we've experienced with Jesus, it can't be contained to itself. Its aftershocks will reverberate. And so this is what God calls us to do as a church, to be those who are going out, believing God is at work around us. And when we sense that nudge and we see that opportunity, we step in, we run like Philip does. We run and we share the hope we have in us. And then I wanna share this with everyone regardless of whether or not you're a believer in Jesus. I want you to turn this question that the Ethiopian eunuch asks on yourself. He asked, what prevents me from being baptized? If you're a believer in Jesus, you've trusted in him as your savior, ask that question. What prevents me from being, some of you, many of you have been baptized. You've already displayed publicly what Jesus has done for you personally. That was a special day. But others of you in this room, what prevents you from being baptized? You know, this question, what prevents you from being baptized? There's only really one legitimate answer. There's one answer that is a good answer to that question. The thing that would prevent you from being baptized is if you're still unsure about Jesus or you still know that you have not trusted in him as your savior, you're still asking questions, you're not even sure what you believe about this yet. If that's the case, then baptism is not a step for you. It would be like me before my wedding day wearing a, a wedding band, right? It, the symbol doesn't make sense unless the commitment is already there. So baptism is supposed to be this thing that reflects what's already happened. And so if you're unsure about Jesus, if you have not put your trust in him as your savior, then baptism is not a step for you. That's a legitimate answer. But anything else other than that, if you have trusted in Jesus as your savior, ask yourself, 
what's preventing me from being baptized? In a moment, we're going to get to celebrate. There's a lot of people getting baptized. It's going to be really exciting. We're going to applaud. We're going to go crazy as we celebrate this beautiful symbol of what God has done in the lives of so many people. And here's the thing. Nobody's going to pressure anyone to be baptized. No one is going to uh, try and force anyone to try. This is a decision between you and God. And so if maybe, maybe like right now you're thinking, well, my friend is getting baptized and it would be really nice to get baptized with them. Like that's not a reason to be baptized. If maybe someone you know or a loved one is getting baptized today, that's great. But if the primary reason is you just want to do it because they're doing it, that's not the reason. Uh, just because somebody is excited for me getting married, it doesn't mean they should wear a wedding ring, right? So, so that's not a reason. Or, or maybe if you're here and you just want to make somebody really proud. Uh, you're here and you know that it would make your parents proud or your children proud if you were baptized. Like, that's noble, that's sweet, but that's not the reason to be baptized. The reason to be baptized is if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior. Another reason why uh, is not right to be baptized. I've heard this before. So I want my sins to be washed away. Now, here's the thing. little secret. The water we put in our little baptism pool comes from a hose. <laughs> so whatever the city of Pembroke Pines utility gives us, that's what you're going in. And in fact, like, we don't even pray over the water, okay? It's regular water. We pray around here. We pray often. We don't pray over the water. It's just regular water. Your bathtub, if you sit in it, the same water. There's nothing mystical about the water, right? Baptism doesn't wash away our sins. Jesus washed away our sins. When we put our trust in him as our savior, the old has passed and the new has come. Baptism is a way for us to display what Jesus already did. And so there's one legitimate answer. What prevents me from being baptized? If you're still unsure and you still have questions and you're not sure about this, then that's a legitimate reason. But if you are a believer in Jesus, or even if today God has grabbed your heart, you realize you need this Savior and you want to put your trust in him today. And today you're saying, you know what? I believe I confess Jesus is Lord. He is my Savior. He died for me. He was raised for me. If you're making that decision today, then there's nothing preventing you from being baptized. Now, you may be thinking, but you don't understand, I came in my church clothes and, uh, you know, I obviously can't be baptized today. Uh, well, we just so happened to have shorts, shirts, towels, and just about everything you need to be baptized. There is everything else taking care of you. The only thing that would prevent you is whether you've trusted in Jesus as your savior. And so here's what we're going to do. I want to give you an opportunity. If you've never put your trust in Jesus as your savior, I want to give you an opportunity right now to make that most important decision of your entire life. And then in a moment, I'm going to dismiss and invite those who are getting baptized today to head out the back. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes, keep this moment quiet and private between you and God. If today, upon hearing about this savior, Jesus, who changed the life of this outsider that day. The Savior Jesus, who sent Philip to go to this Ethiopian eunuch, who came face to face with the fact that he didn't belong, and then he heard this message of the Savior, in which he received the good news that God came to save sinners, that no matter what we've done, that God has made a way for us to be forgiven and have a relationship with him. 
if you've never put your trust in Jesus as your savior, that in this private moment, would you just give a physical act to the personal decision you made in your heart and just slip your hand up right now. If you made that decision today, right now, just slip your hand up. Awesome. Anybody else today, you're putting your trust in Jesus as your savior. You're saying yes to him. If that's you, you can pray something like this to God in your heart. You can say, dear God, today I put my trust in you. I turn from my sins and I turn towards you, my Savior. I believe Jesus lived a perfect life, the one I could never live, and that he died as a sacrifice for me and that he rose from the dead, defeating death. And I put my trust in him as my Savior and my Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for every person in this room who today put their trust in you as their savior for the first time. Thank you, Lord, also for anyone here today who is getting baptized, for the ones who came prepared and the ones who right now are wrestling with that decision. And so, Lord, right now, I pray you'd give courage to whoever it is that right now it's, it's on their minds and there's voices competing for their attention and they're wondering what the people will think or what will happen if they do it. Lord, would you just help them to see that if they are yours, if they have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, if they are yours, give them the courage to step up and step out and to display publicly what you've done in them personally. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. And today we celebrate. We celebrate and rejoice what you've done in our midst. And all this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.